says, we see what you're doing, and we want to appreciate what it is that you have done. I also want to say, Brother Eddie Cooley spent a great deal of time, and he doesn't want me to say this either, but that's okay. He spent a great deal of time working up here this last week or week and a half, uh, working on air conditioning, and uh, there's just so much work that goes on behind the scenes, and uh, I think it's important for us to stand and recognize uh, we appreciate uh, everything that's going on, and those of you who have done such a vital, played a vital role in uh, supporting those over this last week, uh, week and a half, or over this past month. Thank you for what you've done. We really, really appreciate it, and it couldn't be done without you. Preachers like to stand up and preach truth. We like to stand up and stimulate thought. We want to present things from God's Word that we hope will be useful in our lives, our own lives, and the lives of those to whom we preach. Preachers like to generate thoughts that maybe will, will stimulate some kind of thinking beyond the next uh, few minutes. I hope that there's, there are times where we can stimulate you to go home and, and to dig a little deeper. Something has have been said, and maybe you're like, you know what, I never thought about that, and, and I'm going to give that some more thought. I've never thought about that, or I've never studied that, and, and I'd like to study that just a little bit more. Well, a few weeks ago, I was sitting at the feet of someone else, and they said something, and I thought, hmm, never thought about that before. You know, when two things are similar and we compare them, we say that's like comparing apples to apples. And when something is stated that really we don't see a comparison, we say, well, that's comparing apples to oranges. And when this was stated, I said, well, that sounds to me like an apples and oranges kind of statement. A preacher said, have you ever thought about comparing the Queen of Sheba to Thomas the Apostle? It sounds like apples and oranges. The first time I heard it, I thought, what could there possibly be? And, and then you begin to think just a little bit more, and you, you begin to recognize, yeah, there, there actually are several similarities. And what I'm going to give you tonight are six similarities between the Queen of Sheba and Thomas the Apostle. And what you're going to find, I hope, is that there are a lot more than six and what I want to do is just kind of whet your appetite and maybe you take it and study it some more as you get into God's Word yourself. But let me, let me just give you six tonight, six similarities. And then uh, when we finish, before we finish, we're going to make some practical applications. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. I want to just begin tonight by reading the first 13 verses. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth between the Old Testament and New I want to begin by looking here at the Queen of Sheba, just to make sure, again, we're all on the same page. In 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for her that the king could not explain it to her. Nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Verse 4, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. 
Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has the lack been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired. Whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity, so she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. The coming of queen, the queen of Sheba. And tonight again, what I want to do is take these similarities between what we read here in 1 Kings chapter 10 and make some comparisons to what we read about the Apostle Thomas in the New Testament. Number one, both were willing to ask hard questions. Then your Bible say there in chapter 10 in verse 1 that when the queen of Sheba came, she posed to Solomon hard questions. That was the very purpose of her coming to Solomon. She had heard of his fame, but she had hard questions that she wanted answered. You ever had hard questions? Questions that you were finding difficulty anybody answering? You ever been a parent with a young one? <laughs> Have you ever had a difficult question posed to you and, and you wish that you had more Solomon? Uh, more of Solomon's wisdom in you? Well, again, here, here's a lady with some hard questions. And she finds herself falling at the feet of Solomon. She says, I know about you. I've heard about you. Your fame has spread all the way over into my land, and I have come to learn from you. I've come to sit at your feet. I've got these difficult questions. Question. Do you think there weren't wise people back in Sheba? Do you think there weren't any older men, older women, people with experience in life? Do you think there weren't people who excelled in various areas? And she's the queen after all. Don't you think she could have found somebody there to answer her questions? Nobody like Solomon. And that's what she knew. There's nobody like Solomon that I can go to. There's nobody else that, that is famous like you are, Solomon, for your wisdom. But notice that his fame is connected to the name of the Lord in verse number 1. And so I see your connection to the name of the Lord. The Lord has given you this wisdom. And so she's looking at Solomon, but really she's able to look beyond Solomon and see the God of Solomon. And that's really important. You're famous because God has given you wisdom. And so we see his fame is connected there to God. Now, do what you will. If you want to keep your finger, if you want to keep running back and forth, if you're trying to take notes, and you might just pull out a visitor's card or something in front of you and put it in, your play, in its place. Uh, I did. And so you can do that too. I want to go over to the New Testament now to John chapter 14 and look at a time when Thomas posed a hard question. Well, let's get a little context. You remember in John chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room and he's gathered there with the twelve and you understand that he's going to die on the cross the next morning. And so he says these beautiful and wonderful words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Did they know? You see, you get down to that last, po- last uh, statement there, and uh, you see, where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas, in verse 5, is the one who speaks up, and he says, Lord, I don't know where you're going. And if I don't know where you're going, how can I possibly understand how to get there? <laughs> if you don't know where the destination is, how in the world are you going to get there? And he says, Lord, I don't know where you're going. Was he the only one in the room who didn't understand at all what Jesus was talking about? Well, I, I turn over to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, and I see that, that now on the other side of the cross, now on the other side of about 40 days that's passed, and Jesus has been in the tomb, and he's come back to life, and now he's getting ready to go back to heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, right before he goes back to heaven, he's with this same group of individuals minus Judas. And they ask him a question there too. Lord, is it now when you're going to restore the kingdom back to, to Israel? And they didn't get it, did they? They didn't get it. They didn't get it right before Jesus went back to heaven. So I know they certainly didn't get it before Jesus went to the cross. They didn't get it. They didn't know where he was going. Jesus had told them, but they didn't get it. I'm just simply stating that that Thomas isn't the only one in the room that night who didn't know where Jesus was going. He's not the only one in the room that night who didn't know how to get there. But he is the only one who asked the question. I don't know your personality type. My wife and I are very different when it comes to this kind of thing. I'm a middle-to-back-of-the-room kind of student. My wife is a front-row student. And if she doesn't understand something, and this is her personality trait, and many of you have the same personality trait, if you don't understand something, you're going to raise your hand and you're going to say, I don't understand. That's not me. I'm typically middle of the room and back, and I just assume that I'm the only one who doesn't get it. Right? I just make that assumption. Well, I'm just the only guy. I, I'm not the smartest one in the room, and so everybody else must get it. I don't get it, but I'm not going to let people know that. Thomas asked the question, And aren't you glad he did? Have you ever thought about if Thomas wouldn't have asked the question, Lord, where are you going? I don't know how to, I don't know where you're going, and how am I going to know how to get there? What if he doesn't say that in verse number five? Do we get that reply in verse number six? What if Thomas doesn't speak up and say that in verse number five when nobody else would? What about those words in verse number 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Can you imagine if we don't have that statement of Jesus? What if those words are not in your Bible in John 14 and verse 6? Thomas was willing to raise his hand and ask a question, questions. And we better be thankful that he did. It's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay to have questions. It's just we got to take it more further, a little further than that. Here's a number two similarity. Willing to take a perilous journey. You see in your Bible those words of the Queen of Sheba. And you see in chapter 10 in verse number 2, 
that uh, she came to Jerusalem with a very great uh, retinue. Uh, that's not a word I use every day. I don't know about you. I had to ask Julie how to say it and uh, uh, help me. But a great retinue. I'm probably still not pronouncing it correctly. But other places in the Bible, that word is translated army or host. And so she's not alone, is she? She's got a great host that is traveling with her. And it, it states here all these things that are coming with her. Now, depending on what source you look at, they say Sheba, that queen, she traveled uh, anywhere from 12 to 1,800 miles, maybe even up to 2,000. And so uh, I just hit in the middle somewhere, and at 1,400 miles, more than one commentary said that. And so about 1,400 miles, she's willing to make this journey up there to Jerusalem. I got to Googling. How far is that? Well, that's, that's the distance from Midland to Orlando pretty good distance. That's the distance from Midland, if you want to go the other way, to Sacramento, California. That's a pretty great distance. Uh, 1,400 miles, you, you can go past Mexico City to the south if you want. That's past Mexico City. But that's a great distance. And if you were to get in your car and drive from here to Orlando or here to Sacramento, uh, it's going to take you roughly 20 hours nonstop. Okay, so don't stop. You just drive. You'll get there in about 20 hours. But if you don't want to drive, you know, you got a couple other options. So you want to take a bike. That's going to take you 122 hours on a bike. Again, without stopping, you just get on your bike and you begin to pedal. And it's going to take you over five days to get there. But if you don't have a bike and you just want to hike, you know, you just want to walk, then it's going to take you 460 hours. That's over 19 days nonstop. Now, how do you think Sheba got there? How do you think the queen got there? I doubt she drove. I think we can eliminate that one, can't we? And I also don't think that she was living in a place as flat as West Texas. All right, we, we think about, oh, well, we just take off walking. But we're not talking about West Texas flat out there. And we're also not talking about anything with paved roads. I'm telling you, this was a journey. It's not just a hop, skip, and a jump. Hey, in a couple days, I'll just show up at Solomon's temple over there, or Solomon's house over there, and, uh, and get, a, get some answers to these questions. I'm telling you, she had to journey to get there. She had to work. And it had to be perilous, don't you think? you got that many animals, that many people, all of this going on. It's going to take some time to get there, and it's not safe. right? There's going to be dangers involved. But that's how willing she was to get to Solomon and hear of his wisdom, all right, to sit at his feet and get her questions answered. Now, going over to the New Testament, back to John, look at John chapter 11. Did Thomas ever take a perilous trip? Well, the Bible tells us he did. In John chapter 11, you get a little context again, and you remember that at the end of chapter 10, Jesus and the apostles have been in Jerusalem. And Jesus has declared himself to be the Son of God. And they were ready to pick up stones and stone him until he was dead. And so the Bible says in verse number 39 that they sought to seize him. They were going to stone him, but he escaped out of their hands. Well, where'd they go? Well, they left Jerusalem and they went beyond the Jordan. To Bethany, beyond the Jordan. So they travel a great distance and they go to the other side of the Jordan River. And when they get over there, they find out that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says to his apostles, now we've got to go back to Jerusalem. And they say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> You've lost it, Jesus. You're out of your mind. 
Is your memory not working today? What's wrong with you? You know that when we were just there, they were going to stone you until you were dead. We're going to go back there? Well, Jesus says, yes. Lazarus has died, and we are going to go back there. Who's the one who speaks up? You know, we, we give Peter all the credit for being the mouth, right? He's the one that's always going to talk. I don't think Thomas gets nearly the attention that he deserves because what we find is that Thomas said in verse number 16, uh, he said to his fellow disciples, uh, chapter 11, verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. I think sometimes we read sarcasm into that verse. And I'm telling you, sarcasm is not in that verse. Courage is in that verse. What Thomas is not saying is, hey, okay, well, if he's going to go and die, let's go over and die with him. That's how we want to read it, but that's not what it is. What Thomas is saying is, Lord, if that's where you're going to go, and even if they're going to kill you, we're going to go and be with you. And if they kill us, so be it. That's what Thomas is saying. Sounds like a perilous journey to me, doesn't it, you? Thomas had no idea how that was going to end. He had no idea how that was going to turn out. But he said to the Lord, I'm with you. Let's go. Number three, the Queen of Sheba. Why'd she go to Solomon? Hadn't she been told of Solomon? Hadn't she been told of his wisdom? She says, yes, I've heard of you, but I've I, I got to see this for myself. You see that from the Queen of Sheba there in chapter 10, verses 6 and 7? I've had people tell me about you, but, but I didn't want to believe it. I wanted to see it with my own eyes. You've ever had that happen to you, right? Somebody says, wow, you won't believe it. You say, you're right until I see it. I want to see it for myself. You can see pictures of the Grand Canyon, but I'm telling you, that's something you need to see with your own eyes. The pictures won't do it justice. You need to go see that for yourself. Well, Queen of Sheba says, I want to see and hear your your wisdom for myself. And I want you to notice that Solomon doesn't falter for that. He He never says, shame on you. Shame on you for just not knowing that I am the wisest there is, that God has given me all this wisdom. He never faults her for doing that. Well, you, you already jumped ahead to this one, didn't you, in your mind? When I said that we were going to be talking about Thomas and the Queen of Sheba, this is where you went. You've already been to this point, haven't you? Doubting Thomas. Well, that's what we know about Thomas, isn't it? That's the story that we account, we, uh, account for in our minds. And so we go over there. We go to John chapter 20. And you know that Solomon had to see it for himself, didn't he? Oh, had he not been told? Well, the answer is absolutely he'd been told. In John chapter 20 and verse number 19, your Bible will read similar to mine. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Mark that, won't you? That the disciples saw the hands and the side of the Lord. But someone was missing, wasn't he? Well, verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't with them on that Sunday. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I've got to see it for myself. I don't think this is a 
great shining moment for Thomas. But from a human standpoint, I say they saw him. Why couldn't Thomas too? They, they, they saw him and they believed. And so Thomas, he needed to see it too. He wanted to see it for himself. He had to know that this was Jesus. He wanted to see for himself. I think this is important for us to bring out. The Queen of Sheba says, Solomon, I want to see your wisdom for myself. And, And Thomas says to the Lord, I want to see for myself. Well, they got their wish, didn't they? They were able to see it. We're to number four. They got what they were seeking. Aren't we glad they did and we could have it recorded for us and we could see this? We see from 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 3 that, that the Bible says that Solomon was able to answer all of her hard questions. That there wasn't any question that she had that Solomon could not answer. There was no question she had, the Bible says, that was too difficult for him to answer. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to answer any hard question that you have? There was nothing too difficult for Solomon. He was able to answer every single one of her questions. She undertook a perilous journey. She had heard about him. She had to see him. And so she got exactly what it was that she was seeking. What about Thomas? Well, you're still there maybe in John chapter 20. And so we pick up in verse number 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace be to you. Sounds like a broken record, right? He did the same thing. One Sunday, did it again the next Sunday. But this time, Thomas is there. And he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. (laughs) I'm glad that Thomas raised his hand and asked difficult questions. I'm glad that Thomas said, Lord... I'm going to go with you. And even if they kill us, so be it. And I'm glad, aren't you, that Thomas said, I need to see this for myself. Aren't you glad that Thomas said, I want to put my fingers in the nail prints. I want to put my hand into his side. Aren't you glad that Thomas said that? Why? Because it's one more point of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am not going to believe until I see it. It's as if Jesus was listening, wasn't he? Thomas, go ahead. Put your finger in there. Go ahead. Put your hand into my side. And literally, he says, stop disbelieving and start believing. Stop disbelieving and start believing. I want that doubt to vanish from your mind, and I want you to know without a doubt, it's me. Thomas knew Jesus before the cross. Thomas saw Jesus go to the cross. Thomas saw that they nailed his hands to the cross and his feet to the cross. Thomas knew that they shoved a spear into the side of the Lord. He knew that the Lord died. He knew that the Lord was buried. And now he knows, without a doubt, he's alive. Brethren and friends, that is the very foundation of Christianity. 
If we can't get the point, then there's nothing that's worth it. This is the key to the whole of Christianity. Jesus lives. That's what this is about. He got exactly what he was seeking. Number five. How do you respond to that? You go back to 1 Kings chapter 10, and you look again at Sheba's queen. And the Bible says right at the end of verse number 5, right at the end of verse number 5 in chapter 10, that her spirit was taken away. A word similar to, to her spirit was taken away. It does not mean that she died right there. It means that her breath was literally taken away. Her breath was taken away. It's a gasp when she realized the wisdom of Solomon, when she knew that he was able to answer all, uh, when she knew that he was able to answer all of his difficult questions, it literally took her breath away. And how do you respond to that? Well, you see it in your copy of God's Word in verse number 9. She praises God. Blessed be God, the one who has loved Israel forever. The one who has now taken you, Solomon, and put you on his throne to lead his people. And he, he, she bypasses Solomon, really, and she goes directly to the God of Solomon. And she praises him. And a heathen Gentile queen teaches us a lesson. It's not about your wisdom or mine. This is about our God the God who gives us wisdom, the God who gives this, and it's Him that Solomon was displaying, and it's Him that you and I need to be displaying in our lives as well. Fall and praise. Well, well, they certainly have this in common, don't they? The Bible says in John chapter 20, Here, Thomas, look at my hands. Put your fingers here. Put it into my side. Stop disbelieving. Start believing. And Thomas is only... Can you hear the gasp? <gasps> my Lord and my God. Can't you hear the gasp? When he realizes it's really you. It's really you. I knew you before. I saw what they did. I didn't know what to think. But it's really you. And he falls in praise. Deity. My master. Have you heard your breath taken away thinking about Jesus? You ever had your breath taken away when you think about His grace? The hope of salvation? The plan of salvation? Everything that God has done over a span of time for you and I to be with Him? Ever stop to take your breath away? We need to think about that, don't we? Here's number six. Exceedingly rewarded for their search. Your Bible says in chapter 10 and verse 13, back there in 1 Kings, your Bible says that, uh, that he gave her, inside his Solomon gave her, royal generosity. It seems to be customary that when somebody would come for a visit, there was just, you were just going to be generous and you were going to give a gift 
to whoever came. This dignitary has traveled a long ways. It would just be kind, don't you think? Just decent for Solomon to give her something for her trip home. Not that she needed it, but it's a gesture. So he, he gave her the royal generosity. But the Bible also says that he gave her all that she desired. So he gave her all that she desired along with the royal generosity, along with what he was going to give her anyway. That's quite something, isn't it? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Just go to the richest man on the face of the earth and say, you know what? I'd like that. Okay. <laughs> wouldn't it be something? What I'm telling you is, she journeyed, a perilous journey to get her difficult questions asked. She not only got her difficult questions asked, but she went home with a whole lot more than, than she came with. That's something, isn't it? And Thomas? Well, what did Thomas get? All right, so we see this ending in, in John chapter 20. And then we, I say, what did, what did he get? What did Thomas get? for this reaction, for not missing Jesus and, and understanding that this was the Christ standing before him, my Lord and my God, this is you. What did he get? Well, Acts chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. They, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They are the apostles, and where have they been? They have been watching Jesus go up into the clouds. Notice, Thomas didn't miss it. He didn't miss it. He wasn't with them at that time that Jesus appeared, but he was with them. He didn't miss it when Jesus ascended back to heaven. He was going to be there, and he was. And he was privileged, blessed, whatever you want to say. He, he was in awestruck as Jesus was caught up into the heavens. He was there. He didn't miss it. I say, that's exceeding blessing, isn't it? Wouldn't you have loved to have been there as you watch the Lord do that? And it will be a wonderful day when the Lord does it again in the opposite direction. Yes, that'll be a great day. What else did he get? Well, Acts chapter 2. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in the one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who is the they? Verse 14. Peter standing up with the eleven. Part of that 11 is Thomas. Thomas. Thomas was there. He was there that day. He was there that day. That day when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in languages that they had never learned before. And they were teaching people the gospel. And they were telling people that they could be saved. Isn't that exciting? Yes, it is. He was there. He was there that day. 
He was there that day when he got to tell a crowd that they were responsible for crucifying the Son of God, but he's not dead. He raised the whole sermon is about the resurrection of Jesus, and he's telling them that they can have their sins forgiven in the blood of Christ. He was there that day, that day when the church was started. The church of Christ began, and people were saved and added by the Lord to his church. Acts 2 and verse 47. Thomas was there that day. Oh, man, to be there that day. Thomas was there. He got to see all of it. Exceedingly rewarded for his search. I want to know, is this you, Jesus? Yes, it's you. I want to tell people about you. I want people to know how they can be saved. Exceedingly rewarded for a wonderful search. Tell me, how exactly can I use all of this information? I'll give you this very, very quickly and I'll be done. You've listened well. What can I do? Hard questions require going to the right source. It's not wrong to have hard questions. It's wrong to go to the wrong source with hard questions. What's the right source? Well, James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives you all liberally and without reproach. The Word of God is where you go to receive wisdom. You don't need to go ask your neighbor. You don't need to go ask your co-worker unless they're quoting the Scriptures. You simply need to consult God. That's where wisdom is found, and that's where we need to go to find it. Go the distance. They both undertook a perilous journey, right? Go the distance. The journey to heaven is not paved. It is not flat. It is not easy. What did Jesus say? If any of you desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. Go the distance. He is the source that you've got to get to. A greater than Solomon is here. Go the distance. Number three, take it personally. They needed to see it for themselves. They needed to see it for themselves. See it for yourself. My faith is not going to save you. Your faith is not going to save me. My faith is not going to save those two young men sitting in those pews. They're going to have to establish their own. Take it personally. Establish your own faith. You get into the book. You search out and find the wisdom of God. Now, again, we're all here, right? The church is here for each other, and we're bearing each other's burden, but I'm telling you, I'm going to stand in judgment for me, and you all for yourself. Take it personally. Number four, I have good news. This is a precious promise of Jesus, isn't it? You want to find the truth? If you really want to find it, and you really want to obey it, you'll find it. Seek and you will find. It's in here. It's not in here. It's in here. And that's where we need to find it. Seek, and you will find. That's a precious promise of Christ in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. 
Don't ever, 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 ever forget to praise. God help us never to get to a point where thinking about Jesus just never stirs any emotion at all. God help us not to be hard-hearted. God help us to be soft. God help us to see the print, to put our fingers into His hands and our hands into His side. God help us to know that He died on the cross for my sin. God help us to remember that He lives. Don't ever, ever, ever forget to praise. And finally, your search is going to be rewarded. You'll be rewarded in the end for your search. The queen was, Thomas was, and so you will be as well. An inheritance has been promised. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, if you'll be faithful to the Lord. All spiritual blessings are found only in Christ. Won't you be found there tonight? Won't you do what he says you must in order to be saved? Wisdom of the world says you just do whatever you want. Wisdom of the world says you come up with your own plan and God will just be okay with it. Won't you accept the wisdom of God? Won't you do what he says you must in order to be saved? And you have questions that linger about this. Can we sit down with an open Bible and get them answered? If you're ready tonight to become a Christian, then won't you? You do that by believing Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, a willingness to repent of sin in your life, to confess the name of Christ before others, and to be immersed in the water, to come out, have your sins forgiven, and come up and walk in newness of life. Are you ready to do that tonight? If you're a Christian who's wandered away, won't you make that right tonight? If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, come and do it now while we stand and sing.